This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We can only hope that uh, people will turn up, and, and I can't tell them how much I appreciate it. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. That's Toronto resident David Janine. He's hoping to find a bone marrow match at a donor clinic that's taking place this afternoon. Stem cell transplants have come a long way and now save many lives. Coming up, I'll tell you more about David's case and the latest advances in the science. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this Meanwhile, we've had a week full of beautiful summer-like days that officially put an end to our winter. That means it's time to get outside and get in the garden. Today I'll talk to Charlie Dobbin, host of The Garden Show here on the new AM740, about what we should be doing this early in the season and what trends we should be preparing for. She packed my bags last night, we fly. And it's the birthday of a living legend. Zero hour, 9 a.m. Sir Elton John turns 65 today. We'll take a look back at his impressive career and hear his first song to reach number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. There's more evidence on the benefits of aspirin. According to two new studies, taking aspirin every day may significantly reduce the risk of many cancers and prevent tumors from spreading. Researchers at Oxford University found that after three years of daily aspirin use, the risk of developing cancer was reduced by almost 25% when compared with a control group not taking aspirin. After five years, daily aspirin use reduced the risk of dying of cancer by 37%. And a different study found that a daily dose reduced the risk of metastatic cancer by 36%. A Zoomer philanthropist is getting behind Alzheimer's research in a big way. Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen has pledged $300 million to his own Allen Institute for Brain Science, a nonprofit organization dedicated to finding out exactly how the brain stores, encodes, and processes information. Creating maps of neurons in the brain could help solve the mystery behind many cognitive diseases, such as Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. The findings will be open. The Institute says that every month, 50,000 scientists access its brain map data. The cause is close to Alan's heart. His own mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. We've talked a lot about Zoomers who work well past the typical retirement age of 65. Well, an American flight attendant is still flying at the age of 83. Ronna Kanna is America's oldest and longest-serving flight attendant. The Hawaiian native has been with United Airlines for 63 years, and during that time he's seen it all. 
He remembers the early glory days of flying when entire planes resembled what is now first class, complete with a cocktail lounge and passengers dressed to the nines. During that time, he also had many high-profile customers, including Frank Sinatra and Burt Lancaster, who he says helped him bartending after having a few martinis himself. There are perks with Akana's seniority. He gets first dibs at choosing his own schedule, and he often chooses his favorite route, the one that takes him from his new home in Colorado back to the sunny shores of Hawaii. And speaking of Zoomers taking to the sky, great-great-grandmother Mary Allen Hardison of Arizona went where very few 101-year-olds have gone before, parasailing. She has set a world record for the oldest female to accomplish a tandem paraglide. If she was nervous, she had the support of her two children, 13 grandchildren, 35 great-grandchildren, and seven great-great-grandchildren cheering her on. Here is how she puts it. You're as old as you feel. If you want to feel that you're old and decrepit, go ahead. But if you want to really enjoy it, get up and do things. Well said. I'm Lydia Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. You live from hope to hope. It boggles your optimism, but every time you're aggressively doing something, you feel so much better. I'm no martyr, but if I can't save myself, it would be nice to know that we have a chance to save somebody else. That's David Janine. He has a fatal blood condition, and he's hoping to find a donor for a life-saving stem cell transplant this afternoon. The bone marrow drive is on at Toronto's Holy Blossom Temple until 4 o'clock. And if you're not a match for David, you may be able to help one of the other 900 people on the waiting list. Donating stem cells has become much easier, and stem cell therapy has come a long way. I'm here with Dr. Alan Bernstein, chairman of the Canadian Stem Cell Foundation. Dr. Alan Bernstein, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Libby. I remember when... Donating bone marrow or stem cells was a very complicated, painful procedure, and I gather it's not like that anymore. Yeah, giving bone marrow, which contains our stem cells for the blood, uh, has become almost routine. As a result, thousands of people's lives have been saved because of bone marrow or stem cell transplants. It's really quite remarkable. Now, one question you might ask is, if I'm giving my stem cells to somebody else, am I going to be missing stem cells? So the answer is no. You can rest assured. How hard is it to find a match? Uh, it can be hard because these, you know, we're all different. We're all different how we look, and we're all different in terms of these molecules on our cell surface that are used as a recognition things. Uh, are you one of us or are you somebody else? Okay. But with computerized registries now, and with people stepping forward increasingly and said, I'd like to be considered to be a, a donor, uh, it's increasingly easier to find don- uh, you know, potential matches and therefore donors. I mean, in this particular case that we're covering, I was told that the chances of him finding a match at that blood drive are 500 to 1. doesn't sound so good. Yeah, so a lot depends on the particular um, histocompatibility antigens that the recipient has. Some are very rare, and therefore they're low probability, um, and sometimes even lower than 500 to 1. Some are more common, and therefore a higher probability. So it's hard to generalize. Um, but, you know, even if it's 500 to 1, all you need is 1. 
Most of us think of stem cell transplants for blood cancers, but I gather that they are now being used to treat other diseases. Um, so increasingly, we're going to see stem cell transplants being used, as you just said, to treat other diseases. Um, some are still very much in their experimental stage and will take years before we can say this is now routine. But a few things have happened. One is we've realized that the stem cells in our bone marrow can not only give rise to blood and blood cells, um, but also can give rise to other cell types in our body that sometimes need replacing. That's number one. Number two, we've actually learned a lot in about the last five years about how to change the behavior of some of these cells by changing the genes that are expressed or not expressed in those cells so that we can manipulate what cell types they give rise to. And third, we've also been um, made remarkable progress, and much of these discoveries have been made by Canadian scientists. We've also discovered other stem cells. What are some of the other things that stem cells are being used to treat? I think MS? I want to emphasize that this is now not routine, and these are still experimental, okay? But if you think about various conditions and diseases, MS, as you just said, multiple, multiple sclerosis, sclerosis is one good example. Juvenile diabetes, where the cells that make insulin are destroyed by their immune system. It's an autoimmune disease, basically. Can we replace those insulin-producing cells by stem cells, by what so-called beta cells in your pancreas? Um, spinal cord injury. Uh, we know that there are, as a result of work done in Calgary, neural stem cells, cells that can give rise to new nerve cells. Can we use that information, harness that to repair spinal cord injury, as, as another example? Macular degeneration, where the cells in your lens uh, die with age, usually. Uh, can they be replaced by fresh stem cells that can give rise to new cells in your lens? So there's a whole slew of other those conditions and others that you know, are on, uh, on deck, as it were. Uh, but all this takes time. Now, you say this is experimental. Is it still in the lab, or are there human trials? Um, a bit of both. Depends which, you know, I can't generalize. Depends which disease we're talking about. So um, with macular degeneration, um, there's, there's a couple of trials going on, I think mostly, I think, in the United States. Uh, with spinal cord injury, it's still in the lab. How far away are we from these cures through stem cells. Yeah, so you, you never ask a scientist how far we are away because it's impossible to predict. Um, the one thing I can say for sure about stem cell therapy is these promises that we're talking about, because that's what they are at the moment, will never be converted into reality unless we do the research. Finally, what would you say to people who are maybe hesitating a bit about whether they should go out and see whether they're a match for a bone marrow transplant? Um, you know, to be able to save someone's life with your own cells, uh, I've never had the you know, honor of, of doing that. But to be able to say, I saved someone's life because I gave blood or I gave my mm -hmm. bone marrow, um, has got to be one of the most unique gifts you can give to anybody else on the planet. And so I, I don't know how you weigh that against, you know, a little bit of pain when the needle goes in. And that's the only pain when the needle goes in. Yeah. And I, th I think it's just, um, it's just a magical experience to know that you've saved someone's life. Okay. Dr. Alan Bernstein, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Again, the drive is on until 4 p.m. at Holy Blossom Temple on Bathurst, south of Eglinton. If you're between 17 and 50, you can go and get your cheek swabbed. That's all it takes 
to save a life. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. On Tuesday, March the 20th, at 1.14 a.m., winter officially ended and spring began. Actually, it felt more like summer, which means it's time to get out into our yards and gardens. In just a moment, I'll talk to AM740's garden show host, Charlie Dobbin, on what to do now. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. What a wonderful week this was. And by the time we saw the first day of spring, we were actually well into summer with some record-breaking temperatures. What does that mean? Well, it's time to get out in the garden. And with me, I have Charlie Dobbin of The Garden Show. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So what should people be doing out in the garden now. Well, I'll tell you, um, it does depend a little bit about how wet your lawn and your, and your garden is. Frankly, with so little rain or fairly dry up to this point and no snow melt anywhere, we've got some, some gardens that are ready to be cultivated and played with. For now, the main things are trim down the perennials that are all ragged that you didn't trim down last fall. That's a, that's an easy one. Number two, your lawn. It's going to need some, some raking and some care if it's not too soggy. If it's a soggy lawn, you'll know it's too soggy because when you step on it, you'll leave a footprint behind. If that's happening, stay off until your lawn is springing back without leaving that indentation. Then it's time to rake out the dead stuff and, you know, kind of fluff up the green growth because things are turning green. The other thing that I've got, now not everybody has this, but I have a lot of roses. And the roses are way ahead of schedule. The buds are fattening up. They're ready to burst. My goodness. I know. It's crazy. So uh, one of the things I hope to get to imminently, like any day now, is to get my, my roses trimmed down because part of caring for roses is trimming them right down and trimming off the the dead bits and sort of opening the roses up and at the same time fertilizing. Okay, that's the nuts and bolts of, <laughs> of taking care of the garden. Now, of course, today is the last day of Canada Bloom, so there's still time to get down there. And of course, you've been there, Charlie. What are the big trends in gardens for this season? Well, I think one is is not surprising. One is the whole idea of edible gardening. Uh, the many people love the idea of getting out and getting dirty and nurturing and, and creating. But then there's that sense of eh, just doing it for pretty isn't got the same value attached as doing it for the purposes of eating and harvesting. So we are continuing to see that trend. We've seen it for the last few years, uh, whether it's tomatoes or Swiss chard or cabbages. What grows the best in a city garden? I had really good success with Swiss chard last year. Lettuce is great in the fairly shady locations you referred to. Many of the herbs will do fine in fairly low light as well. Probably the most important thing any city gardener can be doing, and any gardener in general, is thinking about the very sort of non-sexy topic of fixing your soil. Think about adding and amending good organic material to your soil, whether it comes from your homemade compost or from bags of composted manure, it, whatever way you do it, get that organic matter in and you'll find that your options will expand dramatically because plants will be happier. So what do you do? You just dump it on top or you mush it in? What do you do? Well, I do a lot of dumping myself of leaves in the fall and I find that over the years, more and more worms have congregated and of course they do all the work for me. They they chew up the leaves and mix it all in. But it, in the short term, it's only maybe an inch or two and a half centimeters of composted manure that yes, absolutely, just right on the surface and then while you're in there, you're doing a little bit of cultivating, 
You might be pulling weeds. You might be dividing up some of your hostas that are taking over in your shady garden. And that's going to create some mix. Anything else? You know, it's another trend we're seeing a lot of raised gardening. For those of us with creaky knees, having <laughs> trouble getting down to ground level, raised gardening, raising the beds. I've had a few clients where I've built with wooden ties, just custom-shaped raised beds where they used to have down low ground level garden beds so that now the clients are having no issues with vegetables, strawberries, you know, lovely herbs. They can go out there with the walker, with the wheelchair, with the cane, get out there, access the garden just like they used to back 30 years ago. Okay. On that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Charlie Dobbin, thanks so much. It's been great. Be sure to listen to The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin every Saturday morning at 9 right here on the new AM740 Zoomer Radio. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's Elton John's birthday, and coming up, we'll celebrate with a look back at his career, including his first song to hit number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Sir Elton John turns 65 today, and the Zoomer icon is still going strong. Elton's career began back in the 1960s when his name was still Reginald Kenneth Dwight. His first band was called Bluesology and featured saxophonist Elton Dean and vocalist Long John Baldry. The combination of their names led to the stage name Elton John. In 1967, he was introduced to Bernie Taupin, who would later become famous as the lyricist behind many of Elton's top hits. Together, they wrote songs for pop stars on the DJM record label, and for Elton himself. In 1969, he released his first album, Empty Sky. That was followed in 1970 by his self-titled album that featured the smash hit, Your Song. From there, his career took off, and in 1973, he had his first song to take the number one spot on the U.S. Billboard chart. It was Crocodile Rock. That was Crocodile Rock, Elton John's first single to take the number one spot on the U.S. Billboard charts. Sir Elton turns 65 years old today. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon when we'll talk to John Lund, the composer who wrote the stunning soundtrack to the smash television series Downton Abbey. We'll see you then. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.